Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let's start, uh, Rachel, with the <clears throat> the news. Let's let's start with the news that um, that we just had. Right, the the AAMC did announce the MCAT. Let's ask the very common question: When should I take that MCAT? Right? Oh with, yeah. With your experience being in the test prep world for so long. What are some of the biggest mistakes in scheduling that students are making or have made? I love this question. Um, so the biggest mistake I see students make for MCAT prep is planning to take the MCAT in the summer, by which I mean after the school year ends. And I understand the appeal in that because, you know, our curriculum is hard and maybe you're worried that you won't be able to get the grade you need to get and learn what you need to learn and get your MCAT score. It's it's a tough thing to balance, but MCAT test states should have cushion. And mind you, they should have cushion in regular years because you never know, right? You could get the flu, um, your alarm could not go off. You know, you just never know, but especially in- A uh, pandemic may hit. Yeah. <laughs> in pandemic times, we've already seen that test dates aren't always reliable. So you want to build in cushion. You you don't want to take the MCAT before you're ready, but it's October right now. You have time to plan what's the earliest reasonable date I can be ready. And you want to think about what a fallback is. So if you realize, hey, fall semester isn't as bad as I thought it was, I could actually maybe feasibly be ready for January. 100% go for it. I love it when students take in January. If you get it done, you've now just made the application process in the spring so much better for yourself. If something happens and something goes wrong and you don't feel completely ready or you, you feel ready and then the score just doesn't match your practice test results, you've still got April or May as a fallback. But if you're telling yourself May, June, July, and then anything goes wrong, you're already looking at either being a later applicant or already potentially looking at now I might have to delay till next year, right? So I just think if you if you can plan early, then you should plan early. Yeah. One of the biggest issues that I see is that students wait until they're ready to actually schedule versus planning the schedule and then working their plan around the actual date. They wait for that date until they're comfortable. Is there an issue with that? I think so. Um, I think you never really feel ready for the MCAT. Um, <laughs> you don't? And, and by the way, this isn't just pre-med. I actually was just reading some article about how um, so many future lawyers walk out of the LSAT, walk out of even the bar, even the bar that they've passed, feeling mm. defeated and sad and worried. I think right? it's a high like, achiever problem. It, it's a high achiever problem. It's the pressure of so much of your career in one moment of your life, one yeah. day of your life. Um, so what I think tends to be best is pick a test date 
and then build a study plan that works backwards from there. And you guys will notice as we get more and more into building timelines and map that this is the way I think a lot. So I don't want to say I'm starting today. When can I be ready? I want to say, okay, here's a reasonable date I'm going to shoot for. Now, what do I have to do to be ready by then? And I really mean reasonable, right? So, uh, it's October right now. If you're aiming for January, when's finals week? Let's be real right now. You're not doing MCAT prep finals week. I see students every year say, oh, I'll be able to keep going. I'm like, just cut yourself some slack that week. Yeah. Um, and year holidays is dicey. I don't like to assume that everyone's celebrating holidays in December because that's not even, the, you know, some people's years don't even run that way. But if you are in a family that celebrates those things and you know you're going to cut, cut, you know, catch flack from your family if you're not participating, we'll build that in, yeah. right? So um, some people study on December 25th and some people know mom will just be brokenhearted if I don't give her from the 23rd to the 26th. So, okay, so just plan that as a break. Um, so really think ahead. But, but I do think you just want to have a schedule and it's like a part-time job. Right. So it might not be 40 hours a week, but you schedule yourself hours. And like with any job, maybe you're sick once or twice, but mostly you just show up and do the work when you're scheduled to do it. Yep. Definitely. Well, awesome. Thank you for that wonderful MCAT expertise. Yeah. I'll throw up our uh, first non MCAT question of the day. Uh, this is a good one. I like this one. Yep. Should students avoid controversial subjects like abortion, politics, Etc. During their interview, in case the interviewer gets offended, <laughs> what is the most controversial thing a student has ever talked about or wrote about that you've seen, Scott? Um, no, I really haven't seen a whole lot of that um, over the years. I, I I think it's very rare. Um, even these days, you know, a lot of the interviews these days are structured. And so the interviewer doesn't, as in the past, the interviewer had a lot of freedom to ask whatever questions they wanted to. And, you know, it was that kind of stuff. But now more and more with the multiple mini interview with, um, structured interviews where the, the interviewer has specific questions they have to ask. I, I think that's less common, uh, these days now. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that popped in my mind when I saw this question was, well, if the interviewer asks about, you know, the research you've done, yeah, don't pop off all of a sudden. Oh, by the way, I'm opposed to abortion. You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, you got to make sure that your conversation fits the, the uh, topic of the questions and stuff like that. But and I would say the chances of a pretty controversial topic coming up are, are pretty slim, even, even, you know, especially in the multiple mini interview and, and even structured interviews, I think they try to avoid things that are going to be too hot button issue type of stuff. Um, so, but having said that, if the interviewer for whatever reason says, let me give you an ethical scenario and uh, tell me what you would do in this situation. If a blah, 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 and it's a controversial topic such as abortion or uh, euthanasia or, you know, some of the others that are that are really, um, you know, really pretty hot. Then I think you just have to be honest. You can't you can't bullshit around. You can't you, you know, you just got to say this is how I feel. Uh, having said that, I 
you know, am committed to the duty of a, of a physician and, you know, what I have to do to, for the best uh, of my patients or, you know, whatever, uh, don't get in an argument with the, uh, interviewer, obviously, but, um, But I I think if you go into the, you know, my big thing about interviews is you have to go into it being yourself. And, uh, and, and so that's why I think that, you know, you don't, number one, you don't have to dress like you're going to a funeral. If you, if that's not who you are, then just, you know, dress the way now it needs to be professional, but if you want to wear a red tie or a red dress or whatever, then go for it. But, uh, if you, you know, uh, I, I hear, I hear advisors sometimes say, oh, you know, you need to take your nose ring out and you need to take, you know, you need to cover up all your tattoos and you need to blah, 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 blah. And, and to me, that's just, all that's doing is hiding who you are. Yeah. And if that's part of who you are, <clears throat> because if you go down that road, then the whole interview, you're going to be trying to hide who you really are from the interviewer. Yeah. So I think you really have to be, just be yourself uh, be as, um, as spot on with the questions as possible. And, and then beyond that, just don't worry about it. If the interviewer gets, if the interviewer gets all sideways about it, then maybe you don't want to go to that school to start with. Yeah. It comes up all the time, especially around politics, right? Especially in yeah. the political environment we're in now, where yeah. if, if you're on the left, the right hates you. If you're on the right, the left hates you right, and, right. and everyone is wrong. And, and students are very scared of walking that line, especially yeah. it usually it comes from because I think most people understand that higher education is typically a more liberal environment. Right, right. It, it, typically from conservative students, they they are scared of how they're going to be viewed. And my general response to them is, as long as you are empathetic and yep. you are not attacking the other side right. of whatever the the whether it's abortion whether it's euthanasia whether it's politics whatever it is you'll be okay you're allowed to disagree you don't have to have the same um political leanings you don't have to have the same morals or ethics as someone else in fact that right. doesn't make for a good cohort if everyone's right. the same that's right and so as long as like I always give the example and I, I, I love taking things to the extreme in examples just to to really highlight the point. If if a question comes up about abortion and and you are pro-life and, and you and your answer is, well, I'm pro-life because of uh, my religion and how I was raised and I believe that life begins at, at conception. And I understand that there are lots of situations where women may want or need an abortion and and that's okay that's their right to do that i would make sure that they get the care they need etc right that's showing empathy that's showing right. you understand why people are are seeking out abortions right. but and and that's good if you go from the standpoint of well i'm pro-life and everyone who has an abortion is gonna rot in hell and i think they're terrible people and blah 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 right that's that's potentially where you run into issues. Not potentially. Yeah. That's where you run into issues. Right, right. right. Because you're lacking empathy of, right. of why people are having abortions to begin with. Yeah. So. And, and, you know, I, t- I think also that in, in interviews like that where the interviewer has some leeway in terms of what they want, you don't know the agenda of the interviewer. He may agree with – he or she may agree with you completely and are just trying to see how you're going to respond. You don't know what they're looking for. 
So if you're trying to figure out in your head and assume some things about them, you may get totally botched uh, in, in with your response. So that's why I think you just have to be honest about your own feelings and, and, and just go from there. And, and I agree with you. You have to so, show consideration and compassion and, and, and all that. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Hi, non-trad student here. How, quote, old can the extracurriculars I include on my application be? I won't be applying until summer of 2022. The reason I'm asking is because I have plenty of volunteer and employed experience, clinical and non-clinical, from my long and slightly drawn-out undergraduate career, ranging from 2014 to 2020. By the time I apply, that time span will be even longer, 2014 to 2022. Should I focus on more recent experiences or can I include older, meaningful experiences as well? Mm. Well, I would say include it all, but in the application, uh, but particularly when you talk about those most meaningful experiences, uh, then you, you can cover those. Now, you know, what, what I think you have to, you have to be able to do is indicate why that was so meaningful. You have to really get into the, into so some, some <laughs> deep, yes, the, so what you have to yeah. get into some deep stuff there in order to really focus in on why would this, because maybe it was so meaningful because that's what really, that's what really set your trajectory, even though it's been kind of convoluted and stuff, maybe it really set your tra trajectory. And uh, so I, but if you're depending on the old stuff uh, for everything, then that's a problem. I think, it, you know, there has to be some new stuff and there has to be some new stuff that's, that's very meaningful to you as well. And that you reflect on well in terms of understanding the, so what part, the value that it has been to you. But, you know, I don't have a problem with you, including stuff that's kind of old, but if that, if that's kind of it, then, then that would be problematic. Yeah. Definitely, definitely problematic. Um, so, what else we got here? There are medical schools that made the MCAT optional, but are there any schools that blocks the MCAT completely from the admissions process? <laughs> oh. You wish. <laughs> so, so there's one. There's one school that I know of, and I don't remember it off the top of my head. That and just kind of, if you're listening to this in the future, this is all COVID related and because right. of the MCAT issues and everything right, else. Right, right. Um, a lot of schools have made the MCAT, quote, optional for students who haven't had the opportunity to take the MCAT yet, meaning you can apply, um, you can, uh, every school has a little bit of a different process, whether you ask for them to be optional, let them know you're not going to be able to take it, et cetera, they'll review your application in a different way. There's one school that you can submit your SAT scores or ACT scores, and they have some algorithm that kind of converts it into a, a score for them. There is the, the, the problem that I personally see is that the far majority of schools, all but one that I know of, uh, they're still using the MCAT in their admissions process. They're still... For students who have an MCAT, for who, who have taken the MCAT, they're still using the MCAT. And so you have two different types of people in the admissions process. You have those who have an MCAT and those who don't. 
And in that specific situation, I think the students who don't have an MCAT are disadvantaged because we as humans are so stuck in our routine of going, well, I need the MCAT to review an application. Right. There is one school out there, and again, I don't remember it off the top of my head. If you're watching this live and you and you know, you can put it in the comments and we can we can talk about it. There's one school that said, we're making the MCAT optional, and if you've taken it, we're going to blind everyone to that MCAT score. We're just, we're not going to use it in our admissions process this year. And I think that's the right way to do it because it's putting everyone on a level playing the same, field. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I agree with that. I think that when you, it, it, it even is to the level where I think they could potentially run into legal issues yeah. because not everybody's on the same playing field, yeah. and uh, and and you know it opens th them up when when they have these two different tracks uh, to to legal you know legal problems. In my view, I, I know that uh, that was often the case in in some of the landmark cases on on. Uh, affirmative action and on race and admissions was where when anytime you had students on two different tracks that was problematic and uh and so you want so anyway um and, and i think that you know a lot of schools blind their interviewers to mcat scores and stuff like that but at the end of the day the vast majority of medical schools the the admissions committee when it's making its final decisions of selection they're going to be seeing everything uh, they're going to see, you know, MCAT GPA. They're going to see everything to make their decisions about who who they want to to make an offer to. So, um, I, you know, as with and we say this constantly, as with everything else in the admissions process this year, schools are trying to figure it out as they go along. And uh, the pandemic hit them as hard as it did anybody else, and and they're trying to just do the best they can to figure out how do we do this and. Uh, and I can remember one year when I was at Southwestern, speaking of the issue of uh, MCAT scores, um, uh, there was an issue related to MCAT scores. And, and uh, I remember that what I did, I, I, took a, I, I took the database of all of our applicants and I said, okay, I'm going to rank all the applicants by GPA from 4.0 down to whatever. And then I'm going to say, if we simply use GPA to make the decision of who gets in. So we had a class of 200 at the time. I'm going to say, I'm going to take the top 200 people in GPA and, and see, what, see what we get. And so I did that. And then we, we began looking at everything. And, the, and this was, of course, in the days of the old MCAT. But uh, it went from a high of, you know, out the, out the ceiling to a low of five. This was a student, these were students that had a 4.0 GPA and they made a five on the MCAT. This is this is pre pre 2015 MCAT. Yeah. I mean that would be some that'd be something like making a four what? I don't know. 74. Yeah, or something <laughs> like I mean you yeah. can't you write your name on there and get that much. I don't yeah. really I, it, it was just amazing. And so so what I'm saying by saying that is is that I, I do think there's a value in the MCAT. I think it's overvalued, but I do think there's a value in having that constant that they don't have using anything else. And I think the MCAT is is got other problems, but nonetheless, I think uh, so. I think that's why schools, most schools, are, are still trying to use it as much as they can. 
Scott, do you know of any uh, a question here that we can't throw up on the screen? Any Texas schools that use a uh, a I can't think of the right word a review structure of only looking at X number of credit hours in the past? Right, there are some schools that have this quote unquote thirty two hour rule. Um, do you know any schools that say, you know, what, we only care about the last fifty hours, sixty hours? No. No, nothing published at least mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think they're and now you know i i think to say that is to say from for a medical school admissions committee is to say we're not going to look at anything so other than the last 60 hours or whatever now they can look at the last 60 hours mm -hmm. and maybe they even stress the last 60 hours in certain applicants based on their circumstances but i think it's never wise for an admissions committee to put uh, to, to tie itself down in a policy that could uh, disadvantage a student or a group of students. So, for example, we're only going to look at X and we're never going to look at Y. Yeah. Uh, I think the admissions committee in a medical school has to say, we're going to look at everything we, and we're going to look at the specifics of your particular situation and look at everything with regard to you and try to figure out, is this a student that we want? Uh, to enroll in our medical school. Yeah. And if that means we stress the last 60 hours on that particular student, then, you know, yeah, that, that's great. We used to do that at Southwestern, when we, particularly when we would see that there were applicants who um, had not done well in the first couple of years and had really picked it up a lot in, in the last couple of years. So those last 60 hours were really great. Or in the case of postback students who maybe their entire undergraduate curriculum uh, performance in, in past years was horrible and they came back to school. They've done 20 or uh, they've done 40, 50 hours of, of coursework and they've done great. Then, then we used to say, we're not, we're going to disregard the old stuff completely. Yeah. And then we're going to focus simply on the postback record. So I think, you know, admissions committees don't like to sort of hand tie themselves down to the things that are going to affect the way that they view things in terms of policies. Yeah, I've heard this so often from lots of different admissions committees and, and deans and directors of admissions that they don't like having any sort of published rules. Right. Because once you publish that rule, then you are expected to be held to that rule. Yep. And what it does, and, and, and students get frustrated by that and I understand that but at the end of the day I think schools not publishing any sort of rules like that and not living by any sort of rules like that actually helps more students than it hurts because it gives the admissions committees freedoms to look at a student who may otherwise not get a chance because they don't meet a certain cutoff for something. They don't have enough shadowing hours, enough clinical hours, enough uh, high enough GPA, a high enough MCAT score. Yep. It gives the admissions committees a lot more freedoms yep. to break the rules because there are no rules. Right. I, and, I agree with that completely. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that. And I think, I think you're, you're, you're exactly right. It's, it's, and, and, you know, students don't like that. You're right, because they don't like mystery. Yep. They don't like that there's this black box, that they have no idea what's going on in that black box. And and something, you know, because they're science people. They like to know, 
all of the details and they want to see all of what's happening in the experiment. And, 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 and uh, it's frustrating to them when there's a black box that they don't know what's going on in it. But I agree completely with what you're saying, Ryan, that, that they're uh, that this probably advantages students more than, more than anything. Yeah. The, the interesting thing will be, and, and, it's somewhat public knowledge. The The University University of Utah had a big lawsuit. The, the medical school had a big lawsuit because of their admissions criteria. There was a student who didn't get in. I think the student's mom, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, was a big shot lawyer and sued the school because the student didn't get in. And after the review process, it was determined that the school didn't have enough rules in their admissions process. It was too subjective. Mm -hmm. And now if you go to University of Utah's website, they have some specific criteria listed to say, hey, a, a an applicant, an average applicant will have this many clinical hours and this many shadowing hours and this much research. A good applicant will have this. They're one of the few schools that actually lists that sort of information. I still think they have left themselves with enough leeway to actually mm -hmm. still be able to review an applicant how they want to review an applicant. But at least there are some objective measures that they're putting out as public right. information. Right. Um, but it'll be interesting because that lawsuit is still relatively new within the last five or so years, I believe. Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if there are any long-term consequences at, in, at, at other schools because of that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, this usually comes, you know, if we get a little political for a second, this usually comes from the right, mm. from the far right that says, you know, I didn't get in because X person got in that had a less GPA than I had or their MCAT score was lower than mine, and they are – a minority student or they are whatever, whatever, whatever. So I, I think that, you know, this is t very often in my experience when we would get, uh, you know, angry students and, and potential lawsuits and stuff like that, which every medical school gets all the time. Yeah. Uh, they get these, you know, things. And then it's usually from those who are more conservative, who think it ought to just be cut and dry, you know, at GPA, MCAT score, that's all that matters. Yep. I've earned my spot because yep. I have X. Correct. That's just, that's just that's not the way, it's not yeah. the way life works. That's not no, the way this works. No, it's yeah. the way a lot of people want life to work, but it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Um, I know, Scott, you're not doing it deliberately, but this what you just said is a good reminder as to why we are also doing now free sessions on Thursdays about yep. competencies and personal traits. Exactly. Um, and that is somewhat, it's subjectively measured, but it's objectively laid out. There right. are 15 core competencies that the AAMC expects to see. And I, I'm not I'm not referring to politics. I'm just referring to why it's not as cut and dry as grades and MCAT score and even number of hours, because it's not the what, it's the so what. So what, right. Um, so yeah, if you're hearing this and you're listening and you're thinking. Yeah, well, join us. It. Yeah, join us on Thursday. And just just a, a clarification, if I may, in that language, right? The double AMC really has no 
role in the admissions process. So Correct. they're not expecting to see anything, yeah. right. but the AAMC has worked with all of their partner organizations, all the medical schools to determine what a good medical they, student yeah. looks like. And, and those right. are the core competencies. Thank developed. you for clarifying. Yeah. Um, right. And yeah, I'm speaking to people who are listening live that it's happening Thursdays live this fall, but it's all on map.tv. So that's something you can check out if you're catching this later. Yeah. All right, I'll pull up the next question here, which works out well because oh. there was a postscript. So, <laughs> now, is it acceptable to only request one letter of recommendation from a professor? Um, yeah, For, or from other doctors? Oh, I didn't see that last part of it. <clears throat> I work. Sure. I work with these doctors directly. So, what was the first the the end of the from a professor and the others from doctors? Okay, so hmm. this. The, the letter of recommendation question is one that drives me nuts because it is one of the most common, it depends, <laughs> answers yeah. that um, every medical school wants something different. They mm -hmm. request something different. And so, mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, and, you know, also undergraduate institutions that have committee letter processes, yeah. uh, they may have rules with yep. regard to how many professors you have to have or or other individuals yep. uh, like that. And I think what you have to keep in mind is that professors often are addressing different competencies than doctors that you work with would be. Yeah. So they're gonna be addressing competencies of classroom, of, 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 of work ethic, of teamwork, of you know ver various things that are more relevant to the academic environment. And that's the viewpoint they're gonna have as opposed to doctors are gonna be viewing it from, you know, depends on their relationship with you, but from a patient perspective, perhaps, or a teamwork perspective, or your ability to do X, Y, and Z, you know, if you're a practitioner yourself, such as a nurse. Um, so I think it depends. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, uh, things that will, it would affect the answer to that question. But generally speaking, I think it's best to have two letters from professors that you know well, and then you can supplement that with a variety of other letters, depending on what your situation is. Yeah. Yeah. The, the old kind of rule of thumb is two science, one non-science. Um, yeah. but, but, uh, look at all the schools and this is information we'll have in mapped eventually so that we can give that sort of specific feedback as you add schools to your, to your list we also are able to track based right. on your contact list uh, who you're requesting a letter from what are they classified as letter wise uh, we can give you feedback to say hey Un university of utah right school of medicine to pick on utah some more today they they require this one extra letter that you don't seem to have um, no and the, and that's also the benefit and you know I know that there are some downsides to the committee process at undergraduate institutions but that's also one of the benefits of coming from a committee process because regardless of what you have in your committee in your committee packet mm -hmm. if you get a committee packet the med schools are nine times out of ten they're going to accept that regardless of what's in there they're going to say this is a committee packet if it you know doesn't necessarily fit with our typical kind of regimen then uh, but it's the committee packet. So that, that there is a benefit there yep. to, to having that packet. Yeah, that, that's a good point is, is almost always, if, if not always, the committee letter, committee packet supersedes whatever sort of requirements yeah. the medical school has. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
What are some questions that you feel prospective students fail to ask, ask when interviewing? Yeah. <laughs> I, the way my camera's set up, it blocks the end of the question. <laughs> I got I to gotta move this so I can see that. Um, you know, I think the most frustrating thing that I have when, when I interview students is when they, you know, I get to the point where I say, well, do you have any questions for me? And they have no questions for no me. Questions, yeah. I'm like, what the hell is your problem? Yeah. You know, have you not researched the institution? Do you not? I mean, it, it just boggles my mind that they would have no questions whatsoever. I think that's the biggest downside in, in an interview. It, you know, you need to go in there prepared. And it's not that complicated. If nothing else, all you have to do is say to the to the interviewer, well, you know, you're a faculty member here at this institution. Tell me why. Why do you stay here? Why do you like it? What What is it about this institution that, that you uh, feel you know, strongly about. I mean, that's a very simple question that is not rel relative to anything personal or whatever to the interviewer. You could ask it regardless of who the interviewer is, yep. and it would be applicable. So, those are my favorite questions. What's What's more frustrating, having no questions or having questions that you just can't answer because they're way too specific and over your head? Hmm, that's a good question. They're, they're both kind of frustrating because I think no questions leads me to believe this is an apathetic student who hasn't done their homework. Yeah. And too many like complicated questions leads me to think this is an arrogant son of a bitch who <laughs> just wants to pin me into the corners. Yeah. yeah. Who, who's trying to show off about how, how exactly. much research they've done and how specific. Yeah. Be like, well, Dr. Wright, I've noticed in the, the third week of second year, the curriculum highlights this one aspect. Do you, do you like, really, dude? Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did a, a presentation last year for, for interviewing, and the – one of the key things that I talked about was having questions ready to go and having the questions be general enough yeah. that they, that anyone can answer them. And I right. love opinion-based questions. Right? What's your opinion yeah. of this? What's your opinion yeah. of that? Because you don't have to be on the curriculum committee to answer a question right. about the curriculum. <laughs> right. um, and, and the student was like, oh man, I wish I knew that information when I was interviewing. <laughs> and this student had gotten in. He's like, I was at one interview and I asked three questions in a row that the interviewer was like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> oh man. Like, yeah, you gotta be careful. <laughs> yeah, you do. Cause you know, a lot of these faculty members particularly if they're basic science faculty they know their stuff they don't yep. know a whole lot about exactly. much of anything else they don't know anything about clinical stuff they don't know you know it's just so you i i agree with that completely you have to really have it general enough where we're pretty much and that's why i like the, the question of what that's real personal why do you like it here or why what about this institution is compelling to you yeah. Or how long have you been here and why do you stay? Or, you know, yeah. things that they could easily answer uh, that are very, and, you know, everybody likes to talk about themselves at some yeah. level or another. And so if you ask them something personal about themselves, they, they can answer that. Yeah. My, my favorite question that I tell students about is why, uh, and not why, what do you, f what do you like about this school? Or what is one of your favorite things about this school that doesn't get enough attention? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great question. That's a great question. Perfect. 
All right, good questions. How long should I be doing a particular extracurricular activity at a minimum to show commitment? I'd like to get a varied, I'd like to get a varied experience. I'd like to get varied experiences if possible before I jump in for a long-term commitment. I gotta shop around. Yeah, right. <laughs> Man, like, how long are you gonna work with us? I don't know, I gotta see if it, better offers come along. Um, I yeah, know, that, I mean, that's that hard. That scares me. Yeah, it does. It's it 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 hints at check boxes yeah. uh, a little bit, and uh, you know, and, and it also suggests that there's some kind of point at which there's a commitment that's illustrated by that experience. Because I've seen applicants who had a one day experience somewhere, and they talked about it in such depth and with such so whatism. Oh, that's pretty good, right? So whatism. <laughs> Uh, that it was so compelling, and and so I I I generally don't really like to question too much because I think I understand where you're coming from, and I think that yeah, I think it's especially as a freshman or sophomore looking around and joining a lot of clubs and stuff and kind of seeing what you connect with makes sense, but ultimately you have to kind of I do think you have to kind of really focus yourself. It's it's a po it's it's the issue of depth. Uh, rather than superficiality, you know, depth rather than breadth, I think. Yeah. So, but there's no like particular number that says, oh, this, that's when you move from breadth to depth, you know, when you get in this range or whatever. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Ooh. All right. Our popcorn popping is slowing down. <laughs> That's Rachel's. That's Rachel's favorite analogy. <laughs> We're gonna get her a shirt that says the popcorn is popping is slowing down. Uh, so yeah, if anyone has any last questions, we probably have time for one or maybe two more. Yeah. Now everyone is going to use that when somebody said, "What? I don't know what you're talking about." Oh, about the ant. The what question to ask? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, oh, they're sense, saying yeah. everyone's gonna use the like what you're saying. <laughs> get enough attention. At least all math users. Oh, here's an interesting one. Any new pre-med playbook? <laughs> I know. I was like, it's gonna <laughs> make him cry a little, but still. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of them in the works. I, I've had my pre-med playbook guide to the medical school application like 60, 70 percent done for a year now almost <laughs> the, the pandemic kind of screwed me there <laughs> right oh well yeah oh, you're wow. gonna have to update that a little yeah and then um ryan and i are working on one that we're not calling pre-med playbook but that is um kind of like a journal version of mapped so um you know especially if you've got you know, friends or family who are maybe juniors or seniors in high school and are just trying to get a feel for what the next six years are going to look like. That it's a good primer before you actually invest in the mapped app. Um, I like to think of it as a mapped companion for the mm -hmm. the non digital loving folks. Also, and, <laughs> and I have a book that's in my head. <laughs> yeah. On, uh, on the on the competencies, uh, the the pre-professional competencies. I've actually written a couple of chapters of it, but it's still pretty not well, yeah, along yet. So, so yeah, this is a very bittersweet question. The answer is yes. 
there are a lot of them in the making and we just have to get the bandwidth to get them finished and published. Right. I have, so, so the books I have, um, I, I have many books in the works. Uh, I have the pre-med playbook guide to the medical school application. I have the pre-med playbook guide to the MMI. Um, that one I've, I had a team write out about 120 or so MMI scenarios. Um, writing the book for that should be pretty easy. Like the, the, book part of it um should go pretty quickly once i dedicate some time to it i have um a book called pre-med mentors that is in the works that i have my team actively working on right now that's a a book for uh non-traditional students underrepresented students we're gonna go out and and survey physicians who come from underrepresented backgrounds oh awesome traditional backgrounds really gets their idea of the process because one of the biggest things that i hear all the time is especially from underrepresented students is well i didn't know i could be a physician because i never saw a physician who looked that looked like, like me, me. Mm -hmm. who talked like me who was from the same town as i am who comes from the same country as i come from and so really pulling together uh, a bunch of those stories I i'm super excited about that um and then i have uh um a Spanish for pre-meds book and podcast that is uh, being worked on. The, the podcast side of it's done. Uh, we're making the book right now. And then I have a medical terminology book and podcast coming. Um, the core of that is, is done as well. Lots of projects. <laughs> so since you like spouted off all that. <laughs> Let's go bring it. <clears throat> Yes. Yeah, I got tons of great feedback from <laughs> Just had to put a little kudo for me out there. Yeah. Be like <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of it's got some DMs, too. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think the workshops we're doing, the ones that uh, Dr. Ryder is running currently on Thursdays, that's about the competencies and personal traits is... Um, we were really hoping people would like it because it's sort of like trying to make kids eat vegetables. It is a hundred percent what you who are watching or listening need. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's not what absolutely. you want, but it's what absolutely. you need. Well, I think for some of you, you want it, right? Because some of us like vegetables. Um, <laughs> so I don't want to underestimate the group at large, but I think everyone can always reflect on, am I being my best self? And that's what a lot of those, those sessions are about is just, you know, most of us have some altruism but yep. could you have more? Yeah, exactly. Well, awesome. Another ask awesome. the Dean, not ask Yay. Yay. in the books. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Another right. one. Well, I'm, I'm, I, it's been a joy to be here tonight. I, I, I will say that it's even though, even though, time with you all. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Yeah, likewise. Ask the Dean. It's always fun. This was episode 20. We'll be back next, next week with 21. Woohoo! Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it, for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.